Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, what's up? I'm your host, Asher Lack. With me is my co-host, Dr. Alan Sussman. What's up? And today in our third chair, we have a very special co-host, Adam Howard. Hi. Sorry, I didn't know. I was supposed to say <laughs> hi. I'm here, yes. What's up? Adam is a producer on Full Frontal with Samantha B. And before that, he worked um, for NBC for years um, in their news division. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a former, I guess still a kind of a journalist, writer. I also I currently write uh, pop culture pieces for Playboy.com. I, I do a lot of artwork. I do performing around the city, comedy stuff, um, just like a little bit of everything. So, And he's a huge film buff, which is, I don't know, we're all yeah. pretty stoked to have him <laughs> here. He was... Obviously, our co-host, Raph, uh, recommended him. They go way back. And then Raph emailed us all today and was like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be there. Can I ask a quick oh, question? Are you guys not film buffs? Because this is no, a no. movie podcast. Oh, no, we definitely <laughs> are. Yeah, no. All right. I don't want to make sure uh, I was I'd, like talking to the right yeah. To be perfectly honest, I don't know I think, if I'd consider myself a film buff. I think, well, you know, I had to drag. Well, yeah, I yeah, guess I went to film movies, school yeah. all them years ago. But you like movies. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Then that, no. that's a great, I think that's a great way to start. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good start. Yeah. Um, yeah so today we're going to be talking about Soylent Green, uh, the 1973 post-apocalyptic nightmare movie and yeah. this was adam's suggestion which i think we all kind of thought was gonna be like hacky right because of <laughs> so there's an origin story to yeah. this which you know i guess all the all my early millennials out there um are gonna remember there was like a saturday night live skit with phil hartman yeah. which right. it's <laughs> Yeah, well, well it was like, I think it was one of those sketches. I, my memory of it is that it was one of those amazing sketches that always air about five minutes to the end of the show, which are always like the weirdest, yeah, the weirdest most, ones. Yeah, yeah they, there's you, they're very there's almost no point to them. It's just kind of like a, this is like a weird throwaway, and I, I had no idea that it was a real movie. It was just tr- like you know Phil Hartman doing his phenomenal Charlton Heston impression, and the whole sketch with him just running from set to set. Saying, uh, you know, Soylent Green is made out of people. It's people. <laughs> and he was just like going hysterical. And it was so funny to me when I was a little kid. And <laughs> he was wearing this like uh, scarf like Fred from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and he had sort of like a facsimile of what Charlton Heston's outfit is in this movie. But I just I never forgot it. And for some reason, <laughs> wait, it stuck in my head. Sorry. Wait, I think this is a different. Wasn't there another, There's another, another one that has Chris Farley in it? Oh, God. Oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, I mean, Phil Hartman would do Charlton Heston a lot. Like, he did this amazing <laughs> sketch once where he was reading Madonna's sex book. And that was another one I never forgot where he's literally going like, I like my vagina. And he's like literally <laughs> like reading dialogue from Madonna's But It's so good. Um, so, yeah, the first time I saw this movie, I was watching it sort of uh, ironically. I was like, oh, this is that movie. And I literally was watching the movie for that line, which it does eventually come. Right. Spoiler alert. I guess, are we spoiling things? Yeah. Oh, okay? yeah, yeah, for sure. So obviously, I mean, even if you haven't seen the movie, if you've heard of Soylent Green, you probably also know that Soylent Green is made out of people. It's the thing that people know about Soylent Green. Yeah. And so I watched it to see that line. And but, you know, it came to understand it was like a much more interesting movie and there's a lot more going on. Uh, and yeah, now I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I was also wondering, like, how many people who watch this movie now don't know that Soylent Green is people, like, when <laughs> they start the movie? Yeah, I think that hurts like, it a little bit just because a lot of the film is the mystery of what is Soylent Green. Exactly. It's the big reveal. Yeah. I, I even wonder, like, 
like when it came out, right? If there was sort oh, of yeah, like spoilers. if people if people were like, I won't tell. You. Like I guess you know, <laughs> I guess it's easy enough not yeah. to spoil like the big reveal for yeah. For your it friends, happens. Right? I mean, I still think it's always impressive to me when movies don't get spoiled, especially now. I think then the way movies were rolled out was so crazy because a movie would open in just the major cities and you'd have to wait several weeks for it to come to your town. And so I have no idea how this movie performed commercially, but mm-hmm. I love the idea of people like out in the sticks being like, oh, I can't wait till Soylent Green comes to town. I <laughs> want to find out what it's all about. I wonder what it is, you know, and then they get to learn what it was and the terrible tragedy. Um, I also just love that there is this weird period where um, Charlton Heston was sort of the go-to sci-fi guy and and he was doing all of these sort of very politically conscious right sci-fi oh, movies God. and he just owned that decade for whatever reason well, also but like he as become a... really conservative or wasn't he well was he always so really this is my always my thing on charlton <laughs> heston like obviously his later day politics why well, we shouldn't say obviously maybe you will have a lot of right-wing listeners but i strongly doubt it <laughs> it's anything's <laughs> well, possible no. super jewish if, some, well, if something goes on the internet the the conservative <laughs> trolls will find it that's my caveat but i will say that even though he, yeah, his latter day politics were reprehensible to me, he was actually for much of his adult life a very big liberal. Like he marched with Dr. King at the March on Washington. Hmm. There's actually Whoa. this amazing video that was unearthed. Um, I forget, maybe around the time he died, but um, after RFK was killed, he did this incredible sort of PSA alongside Gregory Peck, who was another big Hollywood liberal advocating for gun control. Like, he was there's a whole slew of Hollywood types really? who yeah who were very liberal and then when Reagan came along kind of just flipped. Frank Sinatra was one of them. Oh. There's a lot of these people and Charlton Heston has always fascinated me because he was very very progressive specifically on civil rights and then just for whatever reason like for him the Democratic Party just got too crazy lefty. And when he flipped, he obviously flipped very hard to the point where he was, you know, holding up uh, shotguns and Columbine or whatever, but that's a whole nother thing. It's interesting, actually, because uh, I noticed one of the actors in the movie, the the chief of police, sure. it turned out to be Jim from To Save a, uh, to uh, Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, Brock Peters, um, which is like a really interesting choice to make him a shady, uh, corrupt police captain. Um, I don't know if you guys have done this film yet or when you do, but he there's the other ironic bit of casting with him is in Star Trek Six, where he's playing the racist, uh, you know, Starfleet commander. I think you know he's so he's such a symbolic actor because everyone knows him as that character from To Kill a Mockingbird that it's almost like you have to use him either to pay homage to that character or to sort of undermine it. And I think in this movie, <laughs> it's clearly meant to be oh, here's this guy who would normally be sort of a noble, right. earnest character. And, and also Charlton Heston. I mean, again, I don't want to go off of the rails too much. No, please. But what I think is really crazy about this movie is like, he is a very reprehensible person in this movie. Oh my right, God, right, right. yeah. There's and a lot of really complicated shit Yeah, but I think it's intentional. Author. I mean, obviously some of it is like dated sexual politics of the time, but I do <laughs> think that he is meant to be like not a good guy, which it's actually probably my favorite of his movies because I think some of the other ones that they take such great pains to be like, he's a hero. That's why I know this is considered blasphemy in a lot of circles, but I'm not a huge fan of his planet of the apes. Um, I appreciate them as like their classics or whatever, but I'm just not as in love with them as other people. Um, Whereas in this one, I feel like he's such a like, 
clear-cut kind of hero no, well there's a lot of reasons i don't like those movies <laughs> i mean i don't i feel like there's like well that's another yeah another big reveal movie yeah yeah that, right i i think it like i saw it again recently like, that's a movie i'm always like i want to get into this because so many people i know just adore it but there's the hokiness factor in that one distracts me more like it's so laughable some of the dialogue and the, there's like racial undertones that I'm super mm. not comfortable with. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a very entertaining movie. I've, have I've, you seen? Have you seen all of them? No, oh, no. And I've heard that some of the later ones are better. I really enjoyed these new ones. I think they're really fun. I haven't watched um, any of the new ones. I think they're one great. Yeah, I mean, that's just my. You're favorite. talking about the James Franco ones, right? Not the uh, well. Mark first of all, that's one. really disparaging them to call them the James Franco <laughs> ones. I well, but James Franco is in the first one. Oh, but okay, the, I didn't see the. Yeah, well, I will say that the the latter two, particularly the second one, are much better. The first one is fine. You know, James Franco aside, he's sort of the weak link. Of oh, it. really? Yeah, I would say the humans in these movies, in, until like they sort of started to figure it out, are kind of the weak link. Uh, it, anyway, I did. That's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. point is, the point is, just I don't know. I think in, 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 this one for me, he's not a fantastic actor, but he has such a he has that movie star thing of like you are so uniquely you, and your line readings are so distinct and weird, and just like only you could like say the stuff that you're saying or whatever. Um, but uh, like one of the one things that jumped out at me when I was watching it is that his first line of dialogue in this movie is bullshit. And I just love that. Like, I think huh. that that kind of sums up what... Wait, really? Yeah. And I, I think the whole... He's listening to a news report and he just kind of is like, huh, bullshit. And like, keeps going about his day. And to me, this was like the, like the old, bitter Charlton Heston who's like, the world is fucked. Oh, I'm assuming we can curse on this. Yeah, yeah. we can totally curse. Okay. So anyways, uh, another ramble. Apologies. No, please. <laughs> so should we do a plot rundown? Yeah. Let's, <laughs> this is uh, another thing that always happens on the yeah. podcast is we... We're like 10 minutes 10 in. Minutes in <laughs> that we should do a plot summary. Well, Stolen Green is made out of people, so we have that across <laughs> yeah. already. Yeah. So it's like yeah. it's a post-apocalyptic world where Charlton Heston plays a police officer investigating a murder. And uh, basically the background of the world is that everybody is starving. It's incredibly hot. Nobody has a job. It's overpopulated. Yeah, it's overpopulated. Super overpopulated. 40 million people live in New York, which... <laughs> well, some like, people no, are sex slaves. Oh yeah, right, so. that's true. Oh yeah, there are, there are these <laughs> well, we sex can, slaves. You know, which are, do they call them furniture? The, that was like, yeah. To me. yeah, I guess they call them furniture. Yeah, which is like <laughs> fucking bonkers. If you buy an apartment, yeah. it comes with the sex slave who belonged to the previous owner. Right. I think you use rent the apartment. I don't think you. <laughs> oh yeah, no, maybe that's a point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that's a distinction we don't need to get into. But yeah, <laughs> I wonder what the condo fee is on this one. <laughs> Did I get co-op board approval? I um, love that it was like Chelsea West. Like oh, it was yeah. just like yeah. It it really is weird, right? Because there's such a huge development boom in Chelsea right now. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It was a little. Uh, I mean. It was a little odd. Some movies, I feel like they pick New York like super purposefully. This one to me, it could have been like any major city. Like, I don't know why it had to be New York. I guess maybe they were just like, oh, New York is already overpopulated. And so this will just freak people out even more. I do think (laughs) it's interesting that the overpopulation is like the big boogeyman in the movie. That's what's causing a lot of the problems. And we just saw like Infinity War just came out and it sort of has a weirdly similar theme. Oh yeah. I kept thinking about that movie as I was watching this because a lot of people I think are kind of like, you know what? Like the whole Thanos thing makes a little sense to me. Like there's too many people. 
But yeah, jeez. <laughs> I mean, I was also wondering about the overpopulation, like because they also say that you can't move to the country, like no one lives in. So, so if that's the case, it might be that there's not actually, not. It's not that there was a huge population growth that like caused the whole planet to get overpopulated. It's just like everyone had to move to cities. Yeah, you know. Yeah, kind of like um, industrialization type of yeah. population well also like i was thinking about new york as like a boogeyman in the mm-hmm. 70s so that everybody would be like oh well yeah then this movie is horrible uh it must take place in new york right that's true i mean yeah escape from new york i mean there's a lot of great post-apocalyptic movies that new york is kind of the place to be if you want to be near death i guess panic new park <laughs> yeah um yeah it's interesting i thought the opening was like so goofy did it remind you guys of the sting at all Oh, because it's like the still photos thing a little bit. Oh, it, the, yeah, the opening was really goofy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of strange choices, but um, for whatever reason, I mean, I was saying to you this, this to you before we recorded it. I enjoyed it more this time more than any other time. I think because I just like how kind of downbeat everything is. I don't think there's any real i mean i think there's a couple of weird line readings that charlton heston delivers as if they are jokes but there's no real like overt humor in the movie it's it's a very like bleak movie um so i guess to me like things in it that are sort of anachronistic i'm like whatever like that they had the guts to put out something that's so uh sort of unwaveringly uh, sad is kind of cool to me. It's like a commercial movie, you know. Well, it was yeah. shocking. Like, well, first of all, how prescient, how relevant it was about, like, you know, yeah. global warming, food shortages. Yeah. So I was also thinking about global warming, like, and I was trying to get at this, but was that something that pe- people were really talking about at that time? Like, so the book that it was based on was sure. written in the mid '60s, right? Like, is that something that like people really? Like, I knew scientists knew about it. Yeah, I think in the 70s, Exxon commissioned a big study on global warming, and I think that was when it first came into the the consciousness. Okay. So people were... Like, some people were talking about it, I I guess. I feel like fringe weirdos, like, probably, like, Sam's dad. (laughs) (laughs) was like... Well, yeah. I mean, it was definitely, obviously, like, a big time for environmentalism Mm -hmm. and activism around that. I mean, I think... Right. That in a way that has, I guess, started to come back again, but I think it was very in vogue to start caring about that stuff. Um, what year is this supposed to take place in? Uh, 2022. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. so about to happen. Yeah, it was yeah, such a trip also, to hear them yeah. sort of talk about like the recent past of our own past of like, oh, these records only go up to 2006. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess ultimately in researching this murder or in trying to figure out this murder, Charlton Heston uncovers this kind of strange conspiracy and it leads him to discover that this food source that's being given to everybody as the new perfect thing, soil and green is made out of the recycled human bodies of just like the massive street corpses and people who die in like these uh, suicide yeah. thunderdomes. And I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so take your kids. Uh, it's a fun romp. <laughs> um, also Edward G. Robinson, it's his last movie. And you get to watch him die on screen. <laughs> so that's just more fun for people. Which I loved him. Yeah. First of all, everyone in this movie is disgusting, right? Like looking, you mean? Or yeah, well, like not it, the, like not the just furniture. So, yeah. No, no, no. Not the furniture, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, not the furniture. I mean, come on. Some of those furniture was tens. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a different time, man. I mean, this is the era where like Walter Matthau was a leading man. Elliot yeah. Gould was a leading man. Like, you know what I mean? Like. 
There's a lot of dudes who just could get it back then. Like no one was like sitting in the theater in 1973 being like, "Why is Charlton Heston getting all these women?" Like it was just accepted. Yeah, uh, which I think is cool. As an as an aging person, I'm like I'm all for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's they definitely to your point about the heat. I mean, you feel it. Everybody yeah. looks like they're a yeah, thousand yeah. degrees. Yeah, which that to me was like. I, maybe it's just because it's 90 degrees in New York or when I was watching it, it was. And like, I just, I was like, oh God, this movie is oppressive. <laughs> no, and, it was. Yeah. And I remember like when they start talking about how you, you realize Charlton Heston doesn't have access to like a shower really. Oh, like God. he's never showering. Yeah. There's a scene after where he that, finds soap. Yeah. After I realized that, I just felt gross the whole rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, every time I looked well, at him. Think about how that <laughs> furniture felt when he just rolled in yeah, and was exactly. like, go to the bedroom. It was crazy. <laughs> oh my God. I, that I, sex scene is I so I remembered weird. that like they got together, but I didn't remember that he just like forced himself on her. I didn't remember that at all. And I was like, whoa. That was a very strange scene. Like it, it was, con- it seemed like it was consensual. It, I guess the the way I read it was like right. she was so used to that's her that's being, her what she sees as her yeah. job yeah I mean it wasn't yeah it didn't it doesn't play like a rape scene it just plays as like oh I'm like a professional concubine or whatever and I'm gonna just go to the bedroom and do what I do but I just found it hilariously disturbing that he there was no conversation it was yeah. as if right she should just know that this is gonna go down because he the scene earlier he was like I'm gonna be back later. But he wasn't like, I'm going to be back later so we can bone. It was like, I'll just be back later because I might have more questions or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. I might need this yeah. other piece and of Yeah, and she food. was like hosting a party. Like there's a bunch of people in the other room yeah. and he was like, get to the bedroom. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and I still was like, is he going to just question her? And then he started undressing. Well, he did, but he was also questioning yes, her. Yes, right? that's true. <laughs> was, yeah. He was being semi-professional. Killing two birds. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, but I, I think all of these things are intentional. I think it's meant to be like this guy is like, as corrupt in some ways as some of the people right. higher up than them. Obviously he's not supposed to be as corrupt as, you know, the Joseph Cotton character and the people above even him, which of course feeds into this whole sort of Watergate era paranoia thing of just like everybody's on the take, everybody's sort of shady, you know, every time he goes into an apartment, there's the potential that someone's like waiting behind the door with some kind of a club, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's like a guy standing outside of like, who are you trying to see in this apartment? Yeah. And he's yeah. got like a shotgun there. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So so Adam, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about yeah. about sort of like the way that this movie fits in with Watergate and and right. just like it's interesting because again, it's a huge theme in like a lot of the movies that we cover on the show of of this sort of like shadow corporate malfeasance mm-hmm. and like this deeper corporate agenda. Yeah, which like I guess that this is sort of the one of the starting points of that because you really don't see it in like the '50s sci-fi of like right. you know brave men going to the moon to fight aliens. You know, yeah, whatever. no, that's fair. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you could see the seeds of like the Wayland Corporation and the Alien movies here. I mean. Yeah, I, I love that stuff because I just I love conspiracy things. I think that's why I've always been into Watergate <laughs> in general. Yeah, you are on the right show. Yeah, I just I mean, <laughs> it, it, just because it's like it gives you more to chew on. I kind of like when I mean sometimes it's fun when the villain is just this one dude, but I kind of think it can be really fun when it's this like amorphous organization. Like in the seventies, just they have like this embarrassment of riches when it comes to that type of film. Not, they're not all science fiction but there's just so many that came out in 73 74 when you know everything was coming out and the hearings were happening um the the sequence where edward g robinson is is taken into this 
room where he's sort of seeing all these images that are supposed to kind of put him at peace right before he dies. So right. he chooses in the movie Edward G. Robinson right. is is uh, Charlton Heston's like fixer and researcher. This guy yeah. Saul. And he chooses to basically <laughs> euthanize himself, which I thought was interesting in that another thing I noticed was like it that same sort of not that same process, but it related a lot to Children of Men, I thought, oh, okay. like, that there was a parallel there. Yeah, I guess the movie I was thinking, I don't know if you guys would have seen this movie because it's like a little bit obscure, but have you ever seen the Parallax View? Oh, I still haven't, no. but we okay, need to do so that on the show. I'm, I'm obsessed with that movie. And it would work. I mean, it's not really science fiction, but it, it I think it could work. But it, it's basically, um, it really reminded me of that because it's about like this shadowy organization that trains assassins. Um, and basically there's like these series of murders that are all connected and Warren Beatty's playing an investigative journalist who's trying to uncover it. So he goes undercover as someone sort of auditioning to join this organization. And one of the things they put him through is almost like a clockwork orange style thing where he's forced to like, look at this barrage of images that are kind of weird, like all American vintage things, kind of like the things that Edward G. Robinson is looking at interspersed with like very disturbing images. It's like just a really cool, fascinating sequence um, yeah, I, I just, I like the creeping cynicism that shows up in a lot of these movies, even the big popcorn movies. I mean, even a movie, uh, like star Wars, if you, you scratch at it enough, it's pretty transparent that there's, you know, the bad guys are this, you know, very corporate entity or whatever. Um, you know, jaws has a lot of cynicism about government and people in power the mayor is like the villain of that movie more (laughs) or less and then there's the shark but yeah um yeah i guess that that's just the the broad strokes of it um but i i guess i just think also that's why the the centering of charlton heston intrigues me because he's such a sort of all i mean he's moses he's you know ben-hur i think he's like at this era would have been sort of the prototypical American hero and to put him in the role of sort of a corrupt cop who sort of uses and abuses women and then has to discover this sort of disgusting, awful truth about what's basically the organizing principle of the society. (laughs) I just don't, I think you cannot not see a parallel between what was happening in the real world where people were coming to realize that their own president was a criminal and what that actually portends to mean. And, and obviously this is all relevant to right now because our president right now is, is at least in danger of being impeached and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So. And, and I mean, it was, that to me was the most chilling part of yeah. this was sort of like watching this. And I guess, I mean, it's true of, you know, people rereading the handmaid's tale or 1984 or any of those, you know, sort of dystopic yeah. visions of the world, how, how much they ring true, which I guess that's sort of like, you know, there's a commonality between all of these tyrannies, um, I, th- I kept when I was watching this and I, I forget what year Chinatown came out, but the parallels 74. Between, okay. Yeah. So like that was, I mean, I, you know, I guess it's one of my favorite tropes of that sort of like, um, have you read the Watchmen? Uh, yeah. Other? Yeah. Yeah. Of like that sort of like solitary murder that mm-hmm. is the sort of end point of this much, much deeper thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's like a journey that I always like going on. So I was excited mm. that, that that was the sort of operating Yeah, that's a really smart point. Film. Yeah, I mean, I think it's to your point, like those types of films historically it would be there'd be a big reveal in the last act and the murderer is caught and now we can be satisfied that this crime was committed by one person. I mean, again, to get into conspiracy stuff, it's like all of these assassinations that occur, you know, 
people feel comfortable with the idea that one person did it, that it was one lone crazy person, because then we can isolate that person from society and kind of be like, okay, well, thank God we take care of that. Now, if it's several people and some of those people we can't know about or will never know about, well, that's far more unsettling. And, and the idea of a mass produced uh, sort of agent to cannibalize people doesn't have a face. There's no person at the end of this movie that you can be like, go get him. That's the guy that did everything. <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of people involved in this. And I mean, what's kind of compelling about the ending is that his plaintive plea of Soylent Green is made out of people will almost certainly fall on deaf ears. It's totally right? unheard. Yeah. And also if it like, was no heard, attention. Yeah. yeah, it seems like, <laughs> like what the fuck would anyone do? It's like, Oh, okay, great. So I guess I'll just starve to death then, <laughs> yeah. which like uh, to me. And again, it's, Another one of my favorite sort of tropes in a movie of like when, especially with with conspiracy stuff, and yeah. I, you know we talk about conspiracies a lot on the show because it's, I, to me it's endlessly fascinating as a view into the way that the mind wants to make sense out of chaos, right. which Alan sort of talked about a while ago um, when we were talking about uh, sort of nine eleven conspiracies. I don't think it was actually on the show. We were oh. just hanging out. Okay. Yeah, I was talking about. <laughs> um, this philosophy podcast I was listening to once philosophy bites. I don't know if anyone listens to that, but there's a philosopher who like studies conspiracies and they have this theory about like the reason why people come up with conspiracies, which is that um, there's a cognitive dissonance that occurs when you to imagine that like uh, some, some big grand thing uh, like problem or issue or occurrence uh, has like a simple explanation that you, it must have some complicated explanation behind it, right? And that's, like, the basis behind. So, the JFK assassination, right? That was such a huge... <laughs> I yeah. <know> that, <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes eternally <laughs> because I think, you know, obviously, sure. the JFK assassination is probably one of my favorite conspiracies. Or 9-11. I mean, whatever. 9/11. Yeah, any of them, right. Any yeah, huge I mean, event. A huge event. like huge implications. Yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, it has a simple explanation that's just, like... Yeah, and I think what, what's complex about it is sometimes these things don't have it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, I think it's hard because when it comes to these things, it's easy to be dismissive, and yeah. it's also easy to be way too permissive. It, it it can swing the pendulum can swing too wildly both ways, and you know, with Trump and Russia, for instance, um, there there is a scenario in which he actually didn't do what people think he may have done and he is just so inept at defending himself that he has made a situation that was not great look far worse and it is yeah. also possible that this is the most insane truly insane thing that's ever happened in american politics in history like that is a very real possibility right, that he yeah. actually is yeah and then there and there's obviously a lot of middle ground between those two possibilities but the fact that those two possibilities exist confound me <laughs> yeah and that they're <laughs> both equally me. likely like yeah. it's i wouldn't be surprised by either one or like the pod save america dudes were talking about it and like you know i like their show but you know sometimes i take issue with sort of how middle of the road they can be yeah but I, I think that they're sort of moving in the right direction i agree um but they were like you know it's entirely possible that the information that they have on him is the mm -hmm. fact that he knew that they were helping him fix the election right which is bad and yeah. and and arguably criminal i mean if it is i mean not to make this about that but no, if he i mean if he knew i mean the hacking is a crime everyone sort of agrees on that and if he was aware of it 
I believe that is considered to be also a crime. Now, the American public may feel like big deal, which is one of the things I'm really horrified by. They've already passed on that one. Well, when we say they, I mean, we're talking about maybe 35% of the public. But that being said, that's a lot of people and a a lot of people to excuse the president of the United States committing a fairly treasonous act i would say yeah so i mean anyways it's just that that to me is what's both great about it and also like super dangerous i mean especially with 9-11 stuff and sandy hook and all these things i mean we've seen the danger that going too far down these rabbit holes and i I, you know a lot of movies i think are very ham-handed and heavy like sort of you know go too far with the like the corporate overlords are the bad guys to the point where there's no clever nuance to it i i thought this one did a decent job of not yeah. going too silly with it it was just you could even make an, an argument i think you were saying like well like what are we going to do now like the the situation is so bleak that maybe like eating soil and green is just right. like what you got to do well yeah. that's another thing like because all i knew going into this movie was soil and green is people <laughs> right but i assumed that it was like people who like were jailed or something. Yeah, didn't want to be soil yeah, and green. Exactly. So, <laughs> so actually, to learn that yeah. it was people who were already dead. Yeah, it kind of shades it mm-hmm. in a certain mm-hmm. way morally. Let me right. pose a question real quick. I sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> no, no, no. This, please, this is please. like I, I want to ask you guys. Be real. There's no wrong answer. If you were in this scenario, maybe you found out soil and green was people. Would you want to help Charlie and Helston make this stop? Or would you just be like, I'm going to keep being Silent Green because it's pretty good. Yeah, I, 100%. And that was... <laughs> well, you could eat it. You yeah, eat of course. People. I'm going to eat it. Wow. I'm going to fucking feed it to other people. I'm going to wow. tell people it's great. Look, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't... here first, folks. This is... Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't... Yeah, I mean, what are your other options, right? That's, that's the crazy thing, right? Is like, if you're sitting there like, this is my only food source and it's people mm-hmm. like you're not you're yeah exactly <laughs> you're, your options are either eat it or starve to death which is yeah. a horrible situation Ew. to be in yeah right oh man but, well but i think and what it's funny because that was the exact thing i wanted yeah. to say was basically just like the fact that when you get to the end of the the conspiracy and to me you know the watchman is is one of the ones that sort of perfectly frames it when you get to the end of the conspiracy and you're like, oh, this does make sense. It's like, okay, you're now implicated. You, mm-hmm. viewer, are now participating in this and you are one of the bad guys. Yeah. And I, I kind of love that feeling. Oh, yeah. Like Wait, what do you, yeah. Out what do you of, mean by that? So, like, when, when we watch Soil and Green and at the end of the movie we go, like, well, you know, Charlton Heston is right to be shocked and to try and get the word out. But, like, if we really knew in the clear light of day that this is the way that things are, this is the way that it needs to be like people need to eat and it's not like they're grinding up living people to make soil and green you know like i I would i would happily keep that secret and maybe this is again leaning to my sort of like fascist (laughs) nature no i mean i wonder i wonder if that moral kind of shade is supposed to be there when you finish the movie or if you're supposed to come out of it just being like this is terrible and, well, you know, yeah, I think you're supposed to think it's terrible because, uh, you know, think, I think this is a good yeah. thing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think it's a good thing to be sort of just naturally opposed to cannibalism. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I mean, I know that, you know, this is not a judgmental space, but I'm anti-eating people. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. It's like even so, to gather to, the power of your enemies? Yeah, so I think people just like... We try not to get into politics. Yeah, they okay. instinctually know that, like, that's not good. We don't want that, you know? So I think... That's sort of how you're supposed to feel. One more question for the group. 
if you were in the Matrix and they were like, you can <laughs> just go back into we the Matrix. Done the Matrix, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I figured we will probably yeah. cover that movie like three times. I but think. but like, would you <laughs> be like Joe Pantoliano and be like, I just want to like eat steak and do whatever, or would you be like, I got to be a freedom fighter? Uh. I want to say that I would put myself back in, but yeah. I have a feeling that I wouldn't. I really oh, I think wow. I would take the hard road. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to any of these things. I just yeah. like posing questions. Uh, I, I, but yeah. Mostly because well, I think Joey Pants is ugly. So I just don't want to be like him. Well, yeah, you don't have to do what he him, but you know, if you were you, but but yeah, I was <laughs> no, going to say um, about your point about being forced to identify with the bad guy. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. I mean, 70s cinema is my favorite decade. And part of it is that you're often forced because of the director's choice to uh, have to identify with a dirt bag or somebody far worse. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is Taxi Driver. And yeah. I mean, I'm a progressive black man. And this character is a, a racist, violent, sort of disturbing figure. But I find him endlessly fascinating and weirdly sympathetic. And I think... Mm-hmm watching films where you have to identify with people who are making choices that you don't like or agree with. To me, it's one of the great things that film can do. It makes me challenge my preconceived notions. I learn things. I have to view the world through a different person's eyes and it doesn't, it still happens in movies now, but it doesn't happen as much. There's much more of an emphasis on making sure that we make people who are our leads sort of palatable to as many people as possible so they don't feel alienated or they don't feel uncomfortable with the choices that are being made. Um, you are forced to hang out with sweaty old Charlton Heston and Edward G. Robinson in this movie, and I think that's great. Yeah, and, his, and his like weird, yeah, God, hobo physique. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, to that point, I had a professor in college once saying class, he was like, just this this grizzled old dude, and he was like, "Your your protagonist cannot hurt a dog. He can't hurt a fucking dog. He could throw his own mother down a flight of stairs. If he kicks a dog, I don't root for him." And, and one of the kids in the class was like, "Well, they shot a dog in Wonder Boys." That's and he looks true. up and he goes, "Who the fuck saw Wonder Boys?" <laughs> I like that your professor was like in Goodfellas. That's awesome. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I I totally. I, I yeah. I, I mean, it is weird. People are really, really sensitive. I mean, I don't want to hurt dogs. Don't get me wrong. But it is weird how like that is like the third rail, <laughs> like yeah, in movies, like other things. I don't know why. Maybe that's the rock bottom because dogs are innocent in a yeah, way that people aren't. And maybe they it's just like they also us. know that like a dog who's in a I'm not saying this is such a weird rabbit hole thing to go into. <laughs> but if you see a movie and like there's a baby or a dog in a scene, especially babies, and I see a scene with a real baby and there's trauma happening and the baby is freaking out, I freak out for that baby because I'm like, this baby doesn't know they're in a movie and so they just think this like horrible thing is happening around them. And I get genuinely upset by that. And so if I saw a movie where like a dog was getting fucked up, I mean, presumably it wouldn't be a real dog. But I would be just like, oh, shit, this is really unpleasant for this dog that doesn't even know it's in a movie. At least an actor is like, I'm acting right now. So this is just pretend. <laughs> Jesus. But it's not pretend for a dog or a baby. That's the point I was trying to make. It's, that's a pretty... I don't know if that's the reason people have trouble with it. Well, That's people really also upsetting. love dogs. I mean, people love their man's best friend, for God's sake. Right. Yeah. And I feel like maybe, <laughs> like, you see a human get hurt, even if they're innocent, you're like, they probably did something crappy in their life. <laughs> wow. But a dog, you could be like, <laughs> You could always, you. you could always be like, what you, could that you, dog like, have done yeah, that's so yeah, that's worthy of that? Never yes, done I agree. Bad. Yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, like, that reminds me, yeah, Charlton Heston's character is like, 
I feel like he's pretty morally reprehensible, right? Like, yeah, I think he. I mean, in that shootout, he. I think he uses someone as a human. Oh, like he a, uses like an a innocent few woman people as, as a human. human yeah, I mean, there, right? you could literally do like a, a scrolling list of his crimes, and it would be like <laughs> super hilarious. I mean, like he steals from people all the time. Oh yeah, that's his um, opening scene. He's like, yeah, when he's in the yeah. apartment, he's stealing. And I guess you're supposed to think it's like noble because he's bringing stuff to Edward G. Robinson that he likes, right. but it's right. like it I mean, belonged well, to someone. He's kind of like a, <laughs> yeah. More like a lovable scamp. We're like, oh, there you go, yeah. Charlton Heston. Like just. Yeah, I mean, right. he, stealing. I mean, that you know, it's almost like Robin Hoodie a little bit, a right. little steal bit. Stuff, but right. it's not right. You're yeah. not supposed to steal. And then he's like sexually harassing ladies, and he's beating he up. Punches suspects. that lady in the right. face <laughs> in that one scene where well, he's like, "Don't get was, mouthy with me." And you're just like, what "I was gonna make happening? a horrible joke." Yeah. she was being hysterical because that's like, of course, what they did in movies back then is just punch ladies in the face. I literally was before I came here. I was watching a 70s movie where Clint Eastwood punched a lady in the face. God. Now, it was played Misty for me, and she was trying to murder him. So I think that's like they were sort of justifying <laughs> it. But it was still like I laughed out loud because I <laughs> forgot. I was like, it's like a movie where she's stalking him. It's like a whole thing. It's a very entertaining movie. But I genuinely was like, I forget like how he kills her. And it was like, oh, he punches her and she just falls off out of a window and like down a ledge. And it made me laugh so hard. And obviously, I'm a morbid person. But anyway, <laughs> anyways, 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 anyways um, yeah, I mean, if you want like crazy, vaguely campy, nutty stuff like this movie has all of that. Definitely. But and I and I think it's fun for that, too. And definitely the first time I saw it, that was sort of the lens I watched it through. Where I was like, oh my God, Charlton Heston's like outfits and his like swagger. And like, it's funny when you went through the plot, like you made it seem like a lot more substantive than it is. There's not (laughs) that much that actually happens. It's a lot of him just like hanging out and going from place to place and kind of being like, hey, the stolen green is kind of weird, right? Yeah. I mean, there is an episodic element to the movie. It's not super driving and there isn't an urgency behind the case, which again, I think is like, it's a much more 70s thing in movies when we were talking about Terminator and how like action oriented that is and that's such a hallmark of like 80s filmmaking and this did have like again it's like americans adopting that kind of like european post-war or interwar model um uh yeah so one of the things i kind of wanted to talk about was this movie in connection with soylent the product and and, and just generally and like okay so like alan works in the tech industry as i think tech sorry yeah my bad um yeah so I, i guess just sort of like basically this movie hit on this thing of like the the kind of like do-goodery like dead-eyed sociopath <laughs> nature of like a super villainy uh as it <laughs> connects to you know dudes like elon musk who are mm. like no 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 i'm i'm making the world a better place no you want to drink soylent for breakfast mm. You know, and I just, I don't know. That was all I really, there wasn't Mm -hmm. much to say behind that other than just like, uh, this movie paints a picture of a world that is completely like a hellscape. (laughs) And, and it's, it's amazing to me that there's this sort of like, you know, uh, 1% tech aspirational sort of class that look at this movie and they're like, yeah, Soylent, that's what we need to fucking do. (laughs) Well, they say it's efficiency. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I just, a lot of things to pull pull apart there. Yeah. So I feel like, I mean, that was, it's a joke, right? Like the name of that company is a joke on, it's a play on this movie, right? I guess. Like, it's like they're using, 
it's like it's a little bit of like shock value or something, right? It's like because everyone knows Sterling Green is people. Okay. Right. Right. So they're just they were like, what do we what do we call this company? <laughs> Let's call it Soylent because and and when it came out, I was like, wait, really? They're calling it Soylent? But then, I mean, it's it's stuck. Like it it got enough people to remember who they were, I guess. Right. <laughs> That's the only connection that I really see. Between it reminds the me a little bit this, of um, when you were just describing it. It reminds me a little bit of Repo Man. How everything <laughs> is very like beer. So it, like it's very plain like. The Soylent products are like, they're Soylent yellow, they're Soylent red. Like, there's just, they're very basic. Like, I think the Soylent green, you just see it, they're like little square Yeah, discs. they're all like cubes of... Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know what that's about, but it's like very sleek, simplistic, and rote. I mean, I'm sure they, this movie probably was, probably they were trying to draw more parallels between sort of like communist societies or something, but yeah. Right. So I, I guess uh, I was okay. sort of... So then maybe... I, so I see what you're saying. So it's sort of like the other aspect of Soylent is just that it's this thing that you can you can supposedly get all your nutrients from. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this like... I mean, it, it, Soylent, the actual product is is like a, more like a liquid, right? Semi-liquid. Yeah. And in this, it's like sort of blocks. But, <laughs> yeah. But it's just sort of like this thing. You can eat it really easily. You eat it efficiently and then you get all your nutrients supposedly, right? Yeah. So you're saying like that's also a sort of parallel that the company was going for? Yeah. Maybe. Well, I, it's just, it's more like there's this dissonance in the tech industry and I don't know if I am capturing it properly, but it fills me with like complete horror. And like obviously part of it just comes from my general, like, so again, for listeners of the show who don't really like know us personally, uh, I was for a bunch of years like a musician. And so like sort of the the way that the tech industry, you know, I mean, essentially nobody buys records anymore, but we all sort of amortize that same fee across devices, right? Like that's where a kid's budget for music is now, right? So like when mm-hmm. when you and I were kids, we would, you know, go to the record store when we were all younger, I, I assume, you know, it'd be like, oh, this record's coming out today. So that budget is still spent by kids. It's just spent on like a new device, right? So that's money that has been like funneled away from one business to another. Anyway, whatever. I'm I'm getting a little off topic. No, I mean, yeah, where are you, where are you going with that? So I sort of, you know, I just have here? a general axe to grind against the sort of like uh, this like kind of constant progress, like utopic vision of, of the the world that the tech business kind of presents to us and i thought that it was so kind of like perfectly summed up by the fact that like they're they're like this benchmark product of like soil and it's going to solve all these fucking problems and it's named after this horrifying right well also one of the things that's interesting is that they're telling you that it's so great and that it has all these nutrients but clearly there's a desire to have you know traditional real food i mean edward g robinson like and one of the few sort of sentimental moments in the movie almost is like moved to tears just at the image of a real steak. Um, right. And so it's clearly understood that there's something kind of off about this, that they're all hungry and they're sort of ravenous for this thing. And it's the one thing that's available. But also there's a sort of a knowledge. Everyone knows this isn't really as good as the real thing. And this isn't really authentic. Right. So maybe you're onto something with that. Because I do think... When it, I mean, I certainly don't know tech as well as you, but I do think there's a general sense I think people have that what we're being offered isn't truly as great and convenient as we're being told it is, but it's also the technology you feel like you need to have in order to stay relevant and current. So like your music example is a great one. I buy vinyl. I'm a huge music person. 
and you know vinyl the sound quality is technically better than all of these things that you're going to get on these digital devices but a lot of people have just now been conditioned to believe well that's the thing i need to have so that's where i'm going to get music from i'm not going to invest in a vinyl record because i've been told by the corporate overlords that that is not the thing to do even if they know inherently it's not as good you know what i mean yeah exactly well exactly so that's like an interesting like that may, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I think that the name of the company is sort of genius because <laughs> it's sort of like winking at the fact that, hey, you know, obviously this probably isn't as good as a steak, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And and if you if you think that it's as good as a steak, you might be a weirdo, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's this thing that you can drink that will that we that will efficiently get you all your nutrients. You it's know? like the Donald Trump, uh, what do you have to lose pitch? It's, it's it's like the height of cynicism. It's basically like, so you're starving, Soylent Green. Like, it's like very... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and yet, at the same time, there's like a dissonance between yeah. that and this idea of like, for a better tomorrow. And you're just like, well, wait, yeah. which one is it? Is it like, this will get the job done? Or is it like, welcome to the future. You're great. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, I can't... Yeah. I, I don't know. And well, Also, and then that got me kind of like thinking down this crazy spiral of sort of like, why would I even think of Soylent as a tech company Mm -hmm. that makes no sense well that's a weird thing right where i mean i I can get into that a little bit of like basically if you can brand yourself a tech company your valuation goes up and i think that's why a lot of companies like brand themselves that way so like Uh, casper it sells mattresses right but they but they sound seem like a tech company right in a way and yeah i think that's a lot that has a lot to do with it has that always been true that if you are a tech company your valuation goes up i think it's i don't know I mean, it's been true. Like, would it past, have been true like, when this movie came out? I don't know how long that's been a I thing. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I, I meant Probably like the past five, ten years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to me, I think a lot of, a lot of like the things you're saying about tech at the time, they just, I mean, they just obviously just applied to like big corporations, right? Like, right. So that's kind of what this movie is about, right? Is like, like big corporations are, like, I feel like the way that, Soylent was being advertised sometimes. It just reminded me of like advertisements in the fifties or something, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, eat this eat this sludge. It's great for you. And and look at this kid who loves it. Which is you so know? crazy because the fifties was such a like a highlight of this sort of like man against nature. Like, mm-hmm. well, we've gotten past the idea of, you know, yeah, like totally, breast yeah. milk. It's disgusting. Like <laughs> dr- drink fucking powdered earwig honey. And you're I just love like, um ads with old Hollywood stars like pitching cigarettes yeah there's nothing funnier to me i saw one the other day with like henry fonda it was like a it was like a picture ad and just like biggest smile on his face like just smoke these cigarettes but um yeah i feel like there's in all great sci-fi that's like a classic trope is false advertising that's in blade runner it's in total recall it's like all those sci-fi movies there's this trend of like very clearly shady false advertising that you as the audience is supposed to say like wait a minute like that doesn't seem legit but everyone's being expected to just fall in line. Right. right. Well, and so as a sort of a last point, what, what got me kind of crazy, and I think, I guess you've sort of nailed it of like, Oh, it's just about the kind of evaluation. I was thinking about it in the context of like punk as an aesthetic versus punk as an ethos. And I was like, what okay. makes a tech company tech? Like when we think of a tech company, like why do we think of Casper as a tech company? Why do I think of Soylent as a tech company? And it's like, oh, well, these things sort of ascribe to that or subscribe to that same ethos of like, we're making the world 
better in this horrifying monolithic way. <laughs> right. You know? Well, there's also, I think, a a weird... <laughs> there's a way in which a lot of people in tech probably like sci-fi movies and kind of like to be ironic about themselves. Like, it wouldn't surprise me so much if there were an AI company that called themselves Skynet, right? Oh, God. Like, I wouldn't be <laughs> super surprised if that happened, right? Yeah, of course. And yeah. then, yeah. So... I feel like that's part of what's going on. It's with just like being Soylent. in on the joke. Yeah, or, kind or, of. I, that and makes maybe sense. being like a bit uh, like megalomaniacal with themselves, right. right? Right, where it's like, I'm in on the joke, but I am also perpetrating the joke on you. Like the the joke is my boot on your neck. Have a good day. Maybe, I don't know. A little bit. I don't, I, maybe. I'm sorry I keep grinding this same axe. I mean, I'm, I'm like, not saying like everyone in tech is like that or even most people in tech is like are, are like that. Most people are perfectly normal nice people but <laughs> but some people are pretty megalomaniacal right like yeah. with, with any people who like like start companies and yeah, like and God are the Emperor head of big corporations bezos. yeah yeah cool <laughs> all right yeah. so on that one i think should we wrap it up was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about i did want to talk about um so so I watched I finished Soylent Green last night like right before I went to bed. Oh God! <laughs> and you know there's the last shot where he's holding up his hand. Yeah, yeah. And I had this <laughs> weird. And then while I was sometime while I was sleeping, I came to this realization. I don't know if it makes any sense or not. That it's supposed to look like a chicken foot. <laughs> <laughs> you think <laughs> because that? because you can only really see like three of his like like two of his fingers overlap when you he's think holding it's supposed his hand. To, up? Or you feel like it it looks like. I that. mean, I'm I'm just saying that this is like what happened. <laughs> okay. with the, the thought that I had while <laughs> I was la- like your fever dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Charlton exactly. chicken foot. Huh. <laughs> but <laughs> and it's sort of like hit the blood is sort of down halfway down his forearm mm-hmm. sort of like a you know chicken foot like you can see foot <laughs> did you have dim sum today were you like hungry no, when you I woke didn't, up didn't eat, didn't eat chicken feet <laughs> i've only eaten chicken feet with you alan i eat chicken feet every time i get dim sum oh yeah. man i can't <laughs> handle it i had i had i was actually the so i was a vegetarian for a while but before that i i ate dim sum with with a vegetarian with a vegan and I got chicken feet, and then, and then um, the vegan said to me, "Do you ever even like think about what you're eating?" And I said, <laughs> "I try not to." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man! Well, that's actually a really good anecdote to talk about this movie because it's kind of about not thinking about what you're eating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of what the whole movie's about. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah. Oh, another thing I wanted to mention <laughs> is that. Uh, this is it's unsustainable right yeah to live oh, yeah. off of like eventually <laughs> everyone will die yeah it's a diminishing return yeah for sure <laughs> like there's there's no way to sustain there's no perfect uh what's the word i'm looking for um like when you have a system but you're losing efficiency like there's no 100 percent efficiency on this so at a certain point yeah people will not be able to consume the dead and keep living yeah, it's yeah. a weird panicky move. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these, yeah, I mean, any very few science fiction movies I've ever seen, I've been like, that's pretty airtight. Like, you know, most of them, Yeah. if you start dwelling about the premise a lot, you're like, wait a minute. Um, yeah, I was just yeah. trying to think of another one that had a similar thing where I was like, 
well, how would that work if like that kept happening? But oh, the Matrix is like the perfect example yeah. of that one, where they're like, we feed the the dead back to the living, <laughs> which is like, well, that's not very efficient. And also, like, yeah. you built this crazy system with this electronic thing to get the power from people when you could have just built fucking stilts that went above <laughs> the clouds. Oh yeah, Logan's Run. <laughs> that was the one stilts. I was trying to think of because they're like killing everybody after they turn thirty. Because they just want to have this society where everybody's like good looking. That's basically what Logan's <laughs> Run is about. And it's like, all right, I don't know, dude. I don't know if that's going to be like a good long term thing, but it's like a cool starting point for a conversation, I guess. Um, yeah, I wish I'd done more digging on, you know, the creative, creative behind this movie because I'm very fascinated to know, um, you know, any movie like this, like, did the studio say, like, can it not be people at the end <laughs> or what? Like, I don't know. I've, I'm actually, when I leave here, I'm going to like go straight to the Wikipedia page. Cause I'm sure that it's a hundred percent factually accurate. <laughs> and I'd love to know like, where they like, can we get Ernest Borgnine? No. Okay. Let's go for Charlton. Like that's the kind of conversation <laughs> that were happening in 1973 somewhere. Oh yeah. They're happening right um, now. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're both long dead, but yes, yeah, so, uh, some facsimile of Ernest Bergnine and Charlton Heston. It's, I uh, think it's Brad Pitt and George Clooney clearly. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like it, that, that interests me. I, I, I don't have any sense at all if this was like a curio or a movie that people were like, this was great. Um, I kind of love that people find it because of like a Phil Hartman sketch. I hope that <laughs> I hope the Phil Hartman sketch lives forever. I hope this movie lives forever. I mean, his the Charlton Heston impression. Find it, watch it, live it, love it. It's everything. And um, yeah, I I love a movie that I can both enjoy as camp and then also enjoy because there's something substantive to it. And I think that's that's awesome. If you can have both of those qualities and it's like a really sweet 90 minutes and some change. Yeah. It's a perfect, it's well, the timing on it. I was like, Oh yeah. This is, had it been five <laughs> minutes longer. Well, I, I remember. Been. Yeah. I was, I remember thinking like, I remember when movies used to be like shorter. Like yeah. How you oh, just can't God. have a movie under two hours. They, well, it's, it's the last act syndrome. There's this, there's uh. a lack of confidence in like landing your movie. So it's like, let's have, 10 last acts because we don't know <laughs> if we're going to satisfy people with the first five. Um, clearly they had their, they wrote this movie to get to that last right. line, <laughs> but, and I will say it's not delivered as like dramatically as you'd expect. He's basically like near death and just kind of like mumbles it out. Um, but it's still awesome. It's just like, it's everything. It's like the, are you talking to me line? Yeah. In yeah. Taxi driver where it's like, when you actually see it, it's like, well, he doesn't have an accent, but everybody's like, you talking <laughs> to me. Yeah. 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 That's true. It's like Charlton Heston is a person that it's like, he's fun to do. And he's got like the crazy bulging neck veins. And it's just like <laughs> that hobo physique. Yeah. He's just, he, and he's, Wait, what do you keep saying? Hobo physique. What does I that mean? You know, when you he's see like, like in a, good shape in this yeah, movie, well, you know, when you see a homeless <laughs> person who's just like really shredded from like an insane, <laughs> he's, very, he's a very stringy, wiry guy. Guy. like he he's old man fit yeah, like that kind yeah. Of thing. but you he know looks, what he looks built to me yeah i i, I, I mean you're talking he about has two a, pretty yeah, skinny guys he has here. a presence like he <laughs> he definitely like he has a very weird acting style in life it's like it's kind of like the alan schwarzenegger thing you know he just he is he just exists 
And right, <laughs> yeah, we just right. need to accept it and move yeah, on. Yeah, and you do. I yeah, mean, it's the right great. role. I mean, you know, it's always. I mean, I know we're running out of time, but it's always like no, please a bummer when they try to stick him in a movie as like just a suburban dad or something. Because <laughs> yeah, you're just who like, the fuck are you? He can't be a suburban dad. He, he but looks like, like Arnold. Part of the hilarity of it. Yeah, right, for is sure. Like, but like, yeah. I like the movies that lean in more to like, <laughs> oh, he's like an insane looking person, so he should be playing like an insane character. And then when he does, I, right. I, I think he's great. I, I wouldn't say he's like a classically good actor, but I enjoy a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger performances. And I feel like Charlton Heston is in that same But world. that's also like, I feel like that's a very typical thing for action movie stars, right? It's like you do a bunch of action movies and then you do like a comedy with kids in it. Yeah, right? that's, that's how you like, get that well, I mean, extra to be dollars. fair, it's, it's insane for a man to be taking care of a child. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never <laughs> seen it. I've ne- I don't think it's ever really happened. And whenever I see it in my movie, I think, oh, what will Hollywood think of next? I mean, (laughs) yeah. Oh, man. All right. I I have more to talk about. Oh, (laughs) no, I just want to No, 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 please. So like, uh, like, yeah, I just going to this movie. I just thought it was going to be stupid. And the only thing about it was going to be selling green as people. And (laughs) there's just a lot of really like prescient things about this movie, I think, in a way that even like a lot of great sci-fi movies, they don't really have like. You know, like global warming, and uh, and also I remember them talking about like how you couldn't move to the country, and that made me think about like big agro business, right? Oh yeah, and how like you can't, no one can just go and start a small farm anymore. Like you can't do that. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It was just it got a lot of things right. I think by just not being su- like super, you know, thinking about like a crazy future. Like it was just like these are some things that could happen if, yeah, if corporations felt- get bigger and like the rich, the divide between the rich and poor gets bigger and, you know, and, and all these things that environmentalist thing, things will think will happen actually happen. So yeah, it was I mean, actually, and I feel like this, I'm not sure, but I feel like this movie didn't actually put like, I feel like critics didn't actually like this movie that much when it came out. I mean, it has some problems, I guess. Yeah. And, but it's really, it's actually pretty like prescient movie, you know? Yeah, I hope I'm dead before something <laughs> I mean, no, I think that a lot about some of these movies, I'm like, woof, I don't, I hope I miss that one. That <laughs> yeah, there's like a Charles Bukowski poem where like he talks about the the future of like, you know, this horrible bombed out world. And one of the lines in it is like, radiated man will taste the flesh of radiated man. <laughs> I was just right. like, this reminded Sounds me a bit like of that. Sounds like a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You get Bradley Cooper for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's wild. Okay, one um, last thing I want to talk about. All right, is awesome. The guy being Jewish, like so Jewish. Oh, Saul? Like Saul. That was, like, okay, so... The, an interesting <laughs> choice. Uh, yeah, well, here's the thing. The reason I thought that was kind of amazing was that... I, I mean, I don't know how much you guys are up on, like, old Hollywood stuff, but, like, Ever G. Robinson is Jewish. I, I, I forget what his actual name is, but it it's not Edward G. Robinson. That's <laughs> for sure. I'm It's something crazy. It's like, if you Google it, it, it's a very, like, not Hollywood name. And he was, like, a very unconventional movie star. I mean, he's, like, this little pug-faced man who played... Uh, <laughs> little Caesar was, like, his big thing. He's a gangster movie guy. And he played almost exclusively Italians. He played almost every ethnicity other than what he actually was. And this being his last role, I kind of felt very moved by the fact that he was playing such a sort of over-the-top mensch in this movie. Yeah. It seemed to me <laughs> almost kind of like 
you know what? I've been in Hollywood for literally 40 some years at this point. I'm going to play a kind of a version of myself because like now I can like I it, unfortunately it wouldn't have been acceptable for him right. to be sort of an openly <laughs> openly Jewish man in movies uh, when he was coming up and it's and it's sort of one of the great tragedies he's also somebody who was like you know sort of briefly blacklisted during the McCarthy eras because he was a very like lefty guy it's it's, it's a kind of an interesting backstory with him and i think it's a nice little like swan song of a movie but what so what was his real name emmanuel goldberg <laughs> okay so um, <laughs> that was born 1893 oh, yeah so first of all Sorry. that's insane that he was born in 1893 that's like bananas yeah. but also like you're not seeing that name maybe today but certainly not in the 30s on any marquee uh <laughs> they might have burned the theater to the ground so <laughs> i think you know this is like uh maybe that's that was the re i i don't know definitively if that's why the, the character was jewish or why the, i mean I, that i like to believe that that's why that's what that's, i wanted that's to really I remember cool. yeah as i was watching it i was like i i hope that's why it was like him almost being like hey by the way i've been jewish this whole time yeah. <laughs> 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 oh god oh Seems like a good place to end, I yeah, think. I'm d- I'm d- <laughs> what, that should uh, be yeah. the name of the episode. I've been Jewish the whole time. <laughs> maybe, the name, maybe the name of the podcast. You're welcome. Oh, God. <laughs> Pass <yeah>. the Kaviltovich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And it's, uh, yeah, it's Rosh Hashanah today, too. Oh, shit. Yeah, oh. Shana Tova. The Shana Tova, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, do Do we do endorsements? Do you want to do endorsements? Do you I guys don't have, have anything? anything? You guys can. Oh, sure. Uh, I just recently made my own personal website and it has all of uh, everything I do on it. All of my artwork, all my TV appearances, all my writing. Um, it's the adamhowardproject.com. Uh, and so, yeah, I'll just plug that. And obviously, um, the Samantha B Show, uh, it comes on Wednesdays at 1030 on TBS. But of course, it's on YouTube. It's everywhere. Uh, so you should check that out. Awesome. Um, yeah, I guess this week I've got two, one for you, one for, one, you, one for me, one. Yeah. I got one that's an anti Allen endorsement. Cause I was just on vacation <laughs> in San Francisco and Alan texted me and was like, yeah, Yang Sing is overrated. <laughs> I just want to throw it out there that Yang Sing is not overrated cause it is amazing. Right. Um, I don't know. No, really? Alan, you didn't like Yang Sing? I thought it was fine. It's probably some of the best dim sum I've ever had. They we, also they have this like Yang Sing to go thing, which I think maybe is why I don't like it because I think it's significantly worse. Oh yeah, than, I'm sure uh, it is. Yeah, it's anyway. also really expensive, which was kind of shocking. Yeah, we basically only endorse Chinese food on this show. <laughs> um, yeah, and and Ian McEwen, um, I uh, reading his short story, my purple scented novel. I strongly recommend go check that out. Um, he just wrote a, shy, a sci-fi short story, um, which I forget where it was published. But anyway, yeah, my purple-scented novel is not science fiction at all, and it's wonderful. I have an endorsement. Yes. Uh, Soylent. Soylent. The company. <laughs> you guys should all have Soylent. Just it's a nice, big, not warm not disgusting glass. at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's not made of people. Yeah. Soylent. <laughs> have you had it? No, I've never had it, actually. Oh, God. I think I've, I've heard that it tastes fine. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't think you can live off that, right? I don't think you can live off anything semi-liquid, like, and just eat that. I no, feel like I, that's gonna mess you up, right? I, I don't know. Sam was talking about a guy who only lived off like protein supplements. I don't know. <laughs> Again, really, I, I'm. A, <laughs> 
Just, well, you said who, so it sounds like he's no more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's like true. He lived off, he lived off yeah, that's protein true. supplements. Now he's, he only lived now off he's of them. dust. Yeah, for, yeah. Oh, God. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Asher Lack. At Highly Affiligent. Uh, I'm at AT underscore Howard. Awesome. All right. Until next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh.